What do you think he'll be best remembered for? That stud in the chest in the World Cup final or for Gareth Barry almost replacing him at Liverpool? Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian McCourt. After Barcelona performed the greatest comeback since Riley and Seinfeld and PSG proved to be the biggest flop since Pele's love life, there are just three words that describe all that went on in the Camp Nou on Wednesday night. Football. Bloody hell. Here to try and make sense about all of that is Andre Gonzalez. Morning. And talking footballs, Matt Herman. zippity doo First of all, apologies if you expected to hear us last week. Unfortunately, we were too upset about Claudio Ranieri sacking to talk. But we are back and we are ready to go. And bloody hell, they did it. They, it's, it's genuinely astounding what happened last night. Where, where do we even start with it all, Dre? I don't know. I think we, today is going to be a podcast with a lot of unfin- unfinished sentences. Because uh, it's going to be... We, we were still thrilled by, by, by yesterday. Uh, I'm, I'm still shaking for, 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 the, for that match. It, it, it's unbelievable. I genu- yeah, this is something that I was saying to both of you before we started the podcast. I got this massive adrenaline rush <laughs> from last night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of troubles trying to get some sleep, I can imagine. I actually know I'm a good sleeper. Oh, I'm a good sleeper. You. But I did, even this morning, I was watching the Sergio Roberto goal set to the Titanic music. I, <laughs> I felt like crying. I watched uh, Sergio Roberto's goal as well as the two Neymar goals that preceded it Yeah, this morning for the first time. Oh, Matt. I gave them up for dead. I was at a, at a bar where they had both matches on, but obviously this is Germany. More people were into the, the, the Dortmund-Benfica game. And after the game, game concluded, or when it was about to conclude it, I just took off because I was like, ah, Barcelona, they're not going to score three goals in the last three minutes? That's absurd. So uh, I, I, of course, heard about it on Twitter last night before mm-hmm. I went to bed, but I was like, eh. What, what have I done? What have I done? Well, one of the guys in the office watched Manchester City draw nil all with Stoke <laughs> in, instead of actually watching the Barcelona game. Did you see game. Thomas Tuchel um, press conference after the match? Yeah, I've, what, what I've never seen Thomas Tuchel so excited. Yeah, it was completely ecstatic. It was oh. really funny. Okay, let's get down to the, to the game itself. Again, where I, I, I don't know where to start. Should we, should we begin with Neymar? <sighs> How brilliant was Neymar? Absolutely brilliant. He described it as his best game ever. Is it that was, something you'd go along with? Uh, absolutely, it was. It was absolutely perfect. Uh, I mean, the first the first half, I would I would give him nine out of ten, and the second half, I would give him ten out of ten. It was absolutely crazy. Uh, the, the 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 that moment, uh, then the last goal, all the six one. Uh, that moment, then he 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 chips inside. And he tried to. It, it, it's just unbelievable how classy he is with that movement. And and uh, a normal guy would just just put a desperate long ball into the box. He saw Seji on the back of a, of a PSC's defense, and he put it right there. It was absolutely perfect. This is this is actually the the one thing that, that separates the, you know your average footballer from your really brilliant footballer. <gasps> that Neymar was actually able to take his time, cut inside Verratti. In the very last minute. In the very last minute when all the pressure is on and to take that time. And it almost like it slowed down for him after he cuts inside yeah, yeah, from yeah. Verratti. Uh-huh. Then he picks out the pass. Wow. Because, you know because he needed that fraction to see. <laughs> exactly. And it's just the, the football intelligence of that is, 
it's beyond words for me. Insane. You know what it reminded me of? You remember that Pirlo pass in the 2006 semi-final yeah. against um, against Germany? And Pirlo waits and waits and waits. For and the right then, moment. And then picks out, um, mm-hmm. who was it? His name escapes me. The full Grosso. Grosso. Uh, Fabio Grosso. Yeah, he picks out Grosso. Uh, that's, what it, that's what it reminded me of. Yeah, you're right. It's kind of a... Deja vu on that one. And we haven't even mentioned how good his free kick was. You saw the free kick, Matt. Oh, my God. That I, I feel like that was the free kick that basically catalyzed the entire thing. It was so improbable and so perfect that uh, once that goal went in and there was a sort of a new fire lit, right. you know, that it, it just went from there, apparently. Right. Yeah. And we had the, bef- bef- I mean, after the, the free kick, we had the Suarez penalty. Yeah, that one. <laughs> there was never there was never a penalty. No way that was a penalty. You, you can <laughs> you can see that play from a hundred different angles, and <laughs> you cannot spot a penalty on that one. No way. Also, there there is a penalty. Um, Mascherano committed a penalty on, on ah, Di Maria. No, that, no, no, no. That wait in the first. Oh, and sorry, in the second half. In the sorry. second half, okay. it, it, it was uh, it was completely by himself. It was just Di Maria and Mascherano running straight to Barcelona's goal. And yeah, it was a penalty, and the ref didn't didn't spot it. Um, these kind of things tend to happen quite a few times at Camp Nou, but but the truth is, uh, apart from the, the the ref's mistakes, and he did a few. Wait, hold on! Before we get back to that, what about the first penalty? Was, that, I, that, a, was first... that a penalty? Because it's some people tend to think that uh, Mounier was not actually in the wrong there. I mean, that it wasn't a penalty. Uh, it's it's a tough call, but I, I admit that the ref uh, may have thought not the not the ref. It was the the, the goal, the assistant referee, the assistant, the goal. yeah, uh, that's that's spotted. I I I might accept that one. Still, it's a peculiar <laughs> penalty, but the other one, no way. A couple of more interesting things I thought about the game. Leo Messi wasn't that good. It wasn't. Yeah, it was. It was just uh, average, uh, and it, we we rarely say say this. We rarely associate average with Messi, but but it was like that. Yeah, uh, Neymar was absolutely brilliant, but the the, the real strength of of Barca was uh, it was the collective. The, the the for those who think that uh, psychology is not that important on, on modern football, just please watch that match. They believe they 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 thought that everything would be possible since the very beginning, and that made all the difference. And their pressing made all the difference. I mean, we were texting during halftime. Steve, Stephen Gerrard said Steven it, was the, <laughs> it was the greatest example of pressing he'd ever seen in his life. Yeah, which I thought was a bit of an exaggeration, but Maybe. Their, their pressing was was impressive. Yeah, yeah, it was. But they committed a, f- a few mistakes in the, in the, in the first half, uh, trying to um, on 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 the build up of their plays. The, the first pass was uh, was not always good. Messi's passing was was, was yeah off, was was effective yeah. yeah. But uh, and in the second half they they were way better. And uh, apart from the, I, I was about to say uh, like two minutes ago. Apart from the, the mistakes that the ref made, and he did committed some some mistakes. There, it was absolutely. It, it was. It, there is no way that Barca couldn't go through on this one. They were so much better than PSG. So much better. Unai Emery was crying. Yeah, that says a lot. 
Jeez, I felt so sorry for him afterwards. Yeah. I just want to, it's a bit like how, we're going to talk about Arsenal in a few minutes, but it's a bit like how I feel about Arsene Wenger at the moment. just want to give them both a hug. Tell them it's going to be okay. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to be for Emery. Is it really? He's going to be sacked. We still don't know about that. Being sacked right now, I think it's, it's dumb. No. They, no, they probably won't sack him now, but he won't be in charge of PSG next season. I don't see why not. I mean, if I, any, any coach who can get a team past Barcelona 4-0 in one leg, even if he blows it in the second, has something to offer. And he, he showed for plenty of years before that what he has to offer at Sevilla. I think if they view this in any way as a long-term project, they have to keep him. I'm totally with you. I wouldn't sack him. But I think that the owner um, will see this, will not see the 4-0, but will see the humiliation afterwards. And I think that's what we'll do for, for Emery. And it's a shame because, like I said, he was brilliant at Sevilla. I think he's done relatively well at PSG. I mean, they could be doing better in the league. We're going to talk to Andrew about that later as well. Uh, but I just, I think the humiliation will be too great for PSG's owners to keep him in place. It's tattooed on his forehead at this point. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, PSG, we, we, as I said, we're going to talk to Andrew in a bit, but... Uh, PSG were abject. I, I don't know if I've ever seen a team... I'm, I'm still trying to understand why is it possible that Rabiot and Matuidi completely uh, the match. Yeah. They were both awful, mm -hmm. but really, really, really awful. Matuidi ended the match with 69% a, a of a, a pass uh, accuracy. Mm-hmm. And usually is on the 91, 92 yeah. on Ligue 1. So we can see uh, a big, big difference on, 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 the, on his uh, display yesterday. Um, Rabiot was a mess. Tactically a disaster. And uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the, plan, the plan for the match was really simple. It was uh, parking the bus and trying to score one goal on contra-attack. Because Emery knew if we score one goal, Barca are done. Mm -hmm. And it was off right on that one. Um, but the, the fact is, at PSG, they have no idea how to defend. Uh, under, being, being under uh, such, such a pr pressure, it was a crazy pressure, and uh, they, they couldn't deal with that. Well, there was this interesting video before the game yesterday. I don't know if either of you saw it, but they had a couple of PSG players just chatting over pizza in a restaurant. It was Draxler, Matuidi... Verratti and possibly Munier was the was the mm. other one, and they were talking about you know going to play in the Camp Nou and how wide the pitch was. Yeah, and I mean they didn't cope mentally, but they also didn't cope with the size of the Camp Nou. You could see that Rafinha was basically playing almost as a as an all time winger. It was wide out on the right. Yeah, and PSG's fullbacks, which were Munier and Kozawa, uh, Kozawa, um, just couldn't cope with that size. And how they Which and, find, and PSG were just were just kind of ripped apart in, in I that find, sense. I find that really weird. If you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna play on a wide pitch, you need to to do some specific training for that, and yeah. and that's why uh, they are well paid. Mm. <laughs> they they yeah. they know that they should yeah. they should practice this kind of thing. Uh, also, set pieces. They should know how to defend set pieces, and they they don't know how to do it. And if 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 a team like PSG, if if their goal is to win trophies, damn, you you need to work that, and uh, they didn't. Yeah, I think it's a failing on Emery's part that they didn't prepare. Yeah. Although 
the size of the Camp Nou. I don't know if you're, have you, you've, have you been there? Yeah, but- uh, You're I, never quite prepared for just how wide it is. Like, it's huge. I, I, it's, you have some wide pitches all around Europe. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about a Camp Nou is not one of a kind. Yeah. So you're going to experience that kind of, of, of game in, in, in different pitches all around Europe. I think that in Camp Nou, you have something that you usually don't have on some other pitches, which is um, the atmosphere in a normal match is is just dull. Yes, but, it is but, very dull. But yesterday was was hell uh, because it was a special match. Yeah. And they, they, they know how to prepare a special match. Yeah. But the, the regular Camp Nou experience is yeah, kind of boring. Their fans also um, were a bit primed for this kind of a result, not in this special match, but the last two league matches they had played ended 6-1, yeah. wink, wink, and 5-0. <laughs> so they had kind yeah. of been rehearsing for this kind of a game plan, obviously True. with Gijon and Vigo, which is a bit different than playing Paris Saint-Germain. But, right. you know. They, they, I, I got to say that Celta and, and Sporting Gijon, they look way better than PSG. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not joking. <laughs> Apart from the, the the final score, they were way better than, than PSG. PSG, uh, I think they were just they looked like a second division team, and I'm being just nice to them. It was it was really amateur of them. You wouldn't expect that. They completely relegated a possession to a a a second to second. It, it was like second choice. I don't want the ball. If if you if you want to get something from a match against against a team like Barca. You need to get some ball. Well, from the 85th minute onwards, PSG had only four passes. Th- <laughs> three, of them, three of them were from tip-off. <laughs> that's bad. That's, that's panic. That's bad. They were completely panic. Um, still so more to say about this. What I enjoyed was, uh, you remember Ter Stegen just before that got kicked I think it was by Varadi or Cavani or somebody like that, and went down for a bit, and then was sort of hobbling back into the box. Oh yeah, yeah. For uh, so, for yeah. the for the thing, he's like, oh, like a kind of old man, just kind of you know going along. <laughs> and then when the goal scored, he was sprinting <laughs> up and down the pitch, <laughs> completely forgot about any sort of ankle problem. Yeah, adrenaline, adrenaline yeah. feeling this morning. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, one of the other people sprinting onto the pitch was Luis Enrique. I don't know if you saw this. He tried yeah. tried to do the knee slide, didn't quite. Ended up on his arse. Not it, the pitch wasn't wasn't wet enough. Wasn't wet enough. No, no. He should, I mean, he's an experienced man. He should know that. Yeah. He has, of course, announced that he won't be managing Barca next season. And I'm sort of wondering how this will affect his legacy. Is he going to be thought of as one of the best Barcelona managers ever? Before you answer that, I know, I know, I know that look on your face. <laughs> Let me just read exactly what he's won so far: two La Liga titles, two Copa del Reyes, one Spanish Cup, one Champions League, one UEFA Super Cup, one FIFA Club World Cup. This season, they're in the final of the Copa del Rey. They're top of the league. They've won the Qatar Airways Cup. Mm. Oh, yeah, big here, one! Here. Big one, yeah. And they're now through to the quarterfinal championship after the greatest comeback of all time. Yeah. I mean, he's going to be remembered as one of the greatest managers. But it's almost incidental, isn't it? Why? Well, you sort of think, ah, oh, you could put anybody in charge of that team. Like Sam Allardyce could have been in charge of that team. <laughs> They've got the greatest forward line of all time. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But uh, it, it's a bit unfair to to uh, to Luis Enrique. Um, I'm, I'm not a I'm not particularly a fan of, of his style, and uh, I think he was miserable at, at Roma. And he was fairly okay at Celta. 
Yeah. So, so uh, this is definitely is uh, is peak as a, as a manager, and of course uh, having Neymar, uh, Suarez, and and, uh, and Messi helps helps a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think people will definitely count him as one of Barca's greatest managers in terms of results, but I'm not sure that it'll go beyond that. I mean, I think that I think a, even Barcelona fans will tell you that what has been established in terms of bringing in as many players as they have through their own youth system and bringing in a sort of a finished system, a finished product, which Pep Guardiola established in his years. I mean, this is kind of a caretaker job that he's been doing. It's been three years or whatever, but it doesn't seem like he established an era other than winning a lot of trophies, but <laughs> that's a pretty great other than. Right. Yeah, that's, I think that's a good point. It's almost, he's almost presided over a galactification of uh, Barcelona. The, the, the plan uh, somehow changed. Uh, this Barcelona is not relying on La Masia as they used to, and they are investing a lot of money every year buying new players, uh, buying some foreigners. Uh, it's, a, it's a different plan. So um, for a Catalan, this new Barcelona is not as real as the previous one. So when you, if, if you're going to the streets and if you ask like the, the average Barcelona fan, uh, he, he will talk about um, Tito and they will talk about Pep. And it will say, yeah, with Luis Enrique, it's kind of okay, but Tito and, and Pep, that was a different, different level. Okay. A um, couple of names being mentioned for his successor. We got Sampaoli. Mm-hmm. We got Wenger. <laughs> no, I don't think that's happening. It's not going to be Wenger. No, it is going to be Sampaoli, isn't it? I don't know. I think. I, I think. Oh, we, you don't think so? I don't think so. I think uh, he is 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 uh, on a contract until 2019. I think with, uh, contracts with, don't mean with Sevilla. And uh, when he started the project. He said that it would be a two to three years uh, project, mm-hmm. and uh, let's remember that this guy turned down Argentina national team uh, because he, he had signed a contract with Sevilla two weeks before. So yeah, but Barcelona. I don't know Argentina. I mean, yeah. If you if you're if you're uh, from Argentina. It's kind of a peak. It's like there's nothing better than than, than coaching the national team. And he said no. Mm. Um, so Allegri then? No, I think it, uh, Valverde is a very strong name to take over. For those who aren't in the know, it's a uh, Athletic Athletic Bilbao um, manager. He has been um, at Barca, uh, so he knows the club. And uh, he's been doing a great job with a team that is made of uh, uh, Basque players. So it's like a, a um, it's like a internship before getting a real job at Barca. <laughs> right. If if the plan is going back back to basics, back to La Masia, and Ernesto Valverde is the, is the right man for the job. That's a big if. That's a big, a giant, big giant if. One last question before we shut down this Barcelona um, topic. Is it the greatest comeback of all time? On modern football, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I okay. mean, nobody's ever given up that, that big a lead before. So, We're better than Liverpool 
in the Champions League final because that's the only comparable comeback for me. No, it, this is way better, but uh, with the difference that that happened in the final, so it's like it's it's a it's it's massive. Uh, right. But this one, I think it's it was a bit a bit better than that one. I guess it doesn't matter. It was a brilliant game. It was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, and three goals in the last no, yeah, three five minutes, minutes, five minutes, yeah. five minutes, however many yeah. minutes of injury time there was. So Matt, you didn't see Barcelona, much to your shame, <laughs> but you did see Arsenal against Bayern Munich. I did, I did. Five. Although those those matches weren't happening concurrently. No, they weren't. No, <laughs> no, I did. I did watch that, and I think that there's um, there's a fair bit to say about uh, the state of Arsenal. Anyway, I okay, mean, go. The mic is yours. Oh boy, let it go. Boy, let's let rip. I mean, Arsenal, of course, in the last way, this is the eighth straight time that they've lost in the round of sixteen in the Champions League. So I think Arsenal, as a club, fans, etc., have begun to digest where it is their what their place in the European uh, constellation is these days. But they don't usually go out in disgrace like this. And 10-2 over two legs is, you can't describe it really in any other way. Mm-hmm. But I really think that the worst part of it is in both cases, in the first leg and the second leg, um, I mean, obviously had a lot to do with Laurent Koscielny going out injured in the first and red carded in the second. But once Bayern got the upper hand in both matches, they just lost the plot. Yes. And that is a pretty clear indication to me that the in-game management of Arsene Wenger isn't working anymore. It's either that he isn't able to communicate to his players in the course of a game how to go to a plan B, or he hasn't set them up with one prior to the game. I mean, this is a manager that has basically lived on trying to attract the most sort of speedy technical players and giving them a very coherent system and sort of saying, get on with it. I mean, a lot of Arsenal fans complain about his sort of tactical intransigence, and I think they might be right. It's just when you run into a team like Bayern Munich this year, and Bayern Munich are peaking at the right time, which is, I think, something we have to hand to Mr. Relaxed Carlo Ancelotti, who sort of <laughs> sleepwalked through portions of the first half of the Bundesliga season and, you know, lost to a Russian team in the group stage. Come on. But they sure do look good now. And that, that's never going to get past a team like Bayern when, when Arsenal also... <laughs> It's funny because I, I have a good friend here in town who's an Arsenal fan. And while I'm not accustomed to watching a hell of a lot of Premier League, I tend to prefer watching the Bundesliga. I went with him to watch them play uh, Liverpool on Saturday evening. And there were a lot of Arsenal fans at this bar. It was sort of an Arsenal bar. And they were all pretty downcast by the result. But I think they also hadn't quite faced the fact that they are not as good as they think they are. They still have this idea that the system they have in place under Wenger, that the squad that they have in place is truly superior. And I just don't think that they're anywhere near where Bayern Munich is. I mean, they, obviously, when you compare them to Liverpool, maybe that's a decent comparison. But is there anybody other than Alexis who would get anywhere near the first team for Bayern? Really? No. Ozil? 
Well, they don't even put him in the first team right at the moment. It would be it would be uh, on and off right now. But uh, yeah, I would say I think you, your your analysis was absolutely perfect. There's nothing more to say. Really. Nothing He's more. Yeah, just there, said that was perfect. Yeah. We can wrap this up. It's <laughs> <laughs> Monologues with Matt. Yeah, it was a pretty pretty good one, man. Maybe Kashelny. Yeah. Okay. I okay. don't think so. I think Kashelny's a decent central. I don't think he's top. He'd be part of the rotation, maybe I, ahead yeah. of Chavi. Given, I mean, uh, given Hummel's given Hummel's form this season, okay. I, I no, think I don't think so. If you have you have uh, Boateng, you have Hummel's, and uh, you have Javi Martinez. I don't think Koscielny would play much. Okay, I mean the the point I had written down here was Arten Arten Arsenal's <laughs> mental fragility. Yeah, once again, it's exactly as you said, Matt. That as soon as that the goal started flying in. They just gave up. Yeah, there's a la- there's also a lack of leadership on the pitch. Yes, and that's 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 really uh, it's really sad when you when you have a, such a big team and you don't have a, a strong characters on the pitch. That's that's a big problem. Well, as Roy Keane said, when Kieran Gibbs is your captain, then you know you're in trouble. Uh, yeah, um, he's right. <laughs> after, afterwards, Bayerin was was out. You know, was talking saying, "Now, ah, yeah, the players are all behind Wenger." Blah blah blah. I don't know. I'm not so sure the players are all behind Wenger. They must know. They must look at him and go, look, this is not working. They know. Of course they know. They're not stupid. No. Do you think they're playing, still playing for him? <laughs> it's it's tough because uh, he's been around for so long that you, you kind of, there isn't, they don't know anything else besides Arsene Wenger. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. Uh, that's a big, big problem. That's why Theo Walcott hasn't progressed. Uh, true, mm-hmm. I agree. Um, you need to experience some uh, some different managers and work with different people in order to be better. And uh, as 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 much as I, I as I like Vanga as a person, uh, it, the last ten years uh, they were they were not good enough, and uh, it, it looked like he's um, is in is is kind of trapped in the past. It's not a it's not a manager of the moment anymore. Definitely not. No. I thought it was also telling a couple of things that happened um, in terms of the players and Wenger's relationship to the press in the lead up and and following this game. I mean, Wenger had gone out of his way to deny that there had been any kind of training ground bust up between himself and Alexis Sanchez, and then literally the next day, Theo Walcott basically confirmed that it in fact did happen, mm-hmm. and. You know, that sort of showed that, you know, Wenger's authority is being undermined and that his, you know, the way that he's dealing with the press maybe isn't the way that some of the players think he should be. And then his his post-match press conference after that second 5-1 loss where he basically foamed at the mouth about the referee, about you know, Koscielny's sending off, which, you know, it, it's, it's, it's the kind of sending off you can have an argument about, but you can't have a really vociferous one about it. I mean, it was... If you look at it in in one way, and I think it's legitimate to look at it that way, it was a totally good red card, and yep. he deserved to go off. Yep. And to for him to sort of blame the entire result on that one moment was it just seemed foolish. Mm-hmm. I have a quiz for both of you. So before the game, Arsenal were thirty three to one to mount a comeback and make it to the next round. <laughs> the quiz is this: according to the bookies, are the following more or less likely than Arsenal making it? It through? was thirty three. It was 33 to 1. Okay. Okay. So the next James Bond being a woman, are the odds greater than 33 to 1 or not? I would say less. Matt? 
Uh, I think they think that's more likely to happen. That is more likely. 16 to 1. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Alien life being discovered this year? Yeah. More likely or more less likely? Less likely. 20 to 1. Whew. Okay, more likely. George Clooney being the next president? USA president, I should say. More likely. After Trump, everything's possible. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I'll go with it. 150 to 1. Ah, ah damn. Someone else will have to save us. <laughs> <laughs> there were also other games being played on um, Tuesday night when Napoli took on Real Madrid. Dre, you had your you had your eyes on this one, mm-hmm. where Sergio Ramos to the rescue again. So um, Alvaro Arbeloa tweeted: "To be a superhero, you don't need to have powers; you just need to believe that you have them." That's what he tweeted to Sergio Ramos after. And, the Oddly, uh, that also applies to what we we see, what we saw yesterday with Barcelona. Yeah, it does, doesn't <laughs> it? Oh, I meant to say to you when we were talking about Barcelona earlier, before the game, Raúl was speaking and he said, "Yeah, Real are the comeback kings, not Barcelona." <laughs> anyway, you watched the you watched the Napoli and Madrid game, so we didn't have to. Um, yeah, what can I say about the match? Uh, Madrid, as we talked about this several times, they're a very cynical team. They're very practical. And um, it was another chapter of uh, how practical can Madrid be. Mm. Uh, it's uh, working for them. It's working uh, amazingly, I have to say. There was a moment just for... I have to say that Napoli were way better than Madrid for 60 minutes. Oh, they were all over them. Completely. Yeah. Uh, but still... There's a mental strength on that team. I don't know what Zidane is feeding them, but it's working uh, because they were completely uh, smashed for 60 minutes and mm. they, they, they managed to come back and, and it was just like this. Right. And when Ramos scored that goal, I, I realized that on that very moment, it's, it's, it's done. It's done. They, this, they're going to win this one again. But, and this was a performance where... The midfield were pretty terrible. Yeah. Uh, the BBC were, oh, no, I'm not going to call them the BBC. Bale, Benzema and, Ren- <laughs> and uh, Ronaldo were terrible. Yeah. Benzema had a very, very, very poor match. Uh, Morata did more than Benzema in 10 minutes. Uh, just <coughs> just 10 minutes on and it was it was uh, way more effective than, than Benzema. Um, I, th- I think that was one of the worst matches I've seen uh, when it comes to uh, our beloved Tony Kroos, oh. it was it was poor also, and uh, Casemiro in in the first half, terrible, <laughs> terrible. So, in a normal um, environment, this could be fatal to to a team. Um, having so many uh, players uh, underperforming at the same time. But not with this Real Madrid, apparently. So, I mean, the, their mentality is amazing. It's the, amazing. It's incredible. Because the Napoli fans were in the games. Were, did you see this? The Napoli fans were in the stadium six hours before kickoff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what, Just creating this incredible atmosphere. And the Madrid are able to, that Madrid are able to play badly yet still withstand that. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, under uh, a hell that playing at San Paolo is really, really hard. Yeah, it's a, it's a living hell, and uh, and they they made it. Well, speaking of Napoli fans, um, did you see the video of the Napoli fla- fan flashing her boobs before the game? Yeah, I did. I did see that. Did one. you see yeah. this? 
Did you see this, Matt? Uh, no, although I, I now have a good search thread. Well, to, to <clears> in, the in the interests of research, <laughs> there were, I, I, I watched there, this. We must say there were no boobs involved. There was no boobs no, involved. That's good. Right. That's good. Would, yeah. Yeah. Keep it clean. So she went up to Napoli fans and said, if you shout Forza Madrid, I'll show you my boobs. And, you know, a couple of lads, you know, a couple of knuckle draggers said, yeah, okay. <laughs> and... They would, you know, she got them to shout Forza Madrid in the middle of Napoli, in the middle of Naples. Yeah. And uh, then she would, she pulled down her top to reveal one, a top that said Forza Napoli. And then she started slagging them off. Yeah. Yeah. What was interesting, though, was the amount of men who said no. Fair play to them. The, f the majority said yeah. no. The majority, so, yeah. that's true. The majority did they say said, no. sorry, baby, but I'm not going to do that. It's a matter of honor. <laughs> uh, Benfica, Dortmund, Dortmund through. Obermann Yang hat trick, pretty pretty good work. Yeah, yeah, brilliant game from Dortmund. Oh, really? Exactly what they needed. I was too busy with Barcelona to watch any of that Dortmund stuff. <laughs> yeah, they, I, I can't say that they were um, superlative in the first half, but they did get things started absolutely the way they needed to. I mean, Obama Yang scored with a nice header off of a flick from Christian Pulisic in the fourth minute, and at that point when they were level, they kind of hit a, a stride where they were finding their feet in the game. And, and Benfica, to their credit, you know, they were well in it for the rest of the first half, but things deteriorated for them in the second. And I, I really don't like to individualize games very much because it is, you know, a game that 11 dudes play together. But pure Emmerich Aubameyang, his performance was out of this world. It was exactly the performance they needed from him. And it, it almost seems to me that he's a player that's, highly motivated by a feeling of being in a team's debt, as it were. I mean, right. earlier this season, remember his ex escapade to a, a nightclub the night before or two nights before a Champions League match, and he was left out. And in the next league match, he scored four goals. I mean, he he knew both from the comments from the press, from from his coach, that he had basically blown that first game in Lisbon. He had, you know, had three or four chances to get them on the board and didn't do it. And... This time, he just absolutely showed up. He scored three goals, as you said. He probably could have scored four or five if he had had his wits about him. There was definitely portions of, of the second half before he got that second goal where he would be caught offside at the wrong moment or he would get the, the ball sort of caught between his legs. There was another time where you know he should have laid the ball off for an easy goal, but he wanted that goal so bad. And uh, I feel like... His contribution, and, and I actually read this morning as well, that um, Osman Dembele, who got a yellow card in the 38th minute and almost got another one about two minutes later, uh, it was Aubameyang who actually took him aside in the dressing room and was like, son, this is not the game that you want to do that. So just find your cool and stay in this game and we're going to win it. Which shows me... You know, we, we talked about Arsenal and their lack of leadership on the pitch or lack of sort of a vocal uh, leader that um, Dortmund have been finding their way to that. They're a very, very young team. They don't have a lot of sort of um, shouty guys other than maybe at the back where, you know, Socrates does that. But I don't even know what his level of, of German slash English slash the, you know, common languages in that team are. But Aubameyang is starting to take on a bit of a leadership role. Royce, before he went down with injury, it's 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 coming together for this team. And, dude, Christian Pulisic, he tore it up. Your fellow countryman. Oh, man. He See, scored two, didn't he? he well, yeah. he uh, he scored one yeah. and he set it's up another. Yeah. yeah. 
And y'all were said you were buzzing from the other game. Mm-hmm. I, I truthfully was buzzing from the Dortmund performance. I mean, not only because I like it when when German teams go through, because then I can keep, you know, covering it for the likes of Talking Foosball podcast and DW, et cetera. But uh, Pulisic, he just he scored the the two one goal on a beautiful chip, totally ice veined chip over the on rushing keeper. And since he's gotten his chance in the second half of their last uh, league match against Leverkusen, he's been sort of thrown in in the front three for Dortmund, where he's mo- spent most of the season playing as sort of like a you know up and down winger, even a wing back. It's in some cases because Dortmund have played a lot of three five two. Um, now that he's playing more up front, he's showing that he actually can hang. And man, anyone who knows the United States uh, national team situation, we've never had a lot of guys who can hang uh, up front at the Champions League level. So it's immensely satisfying. I think it's time to talk a bit more PSG with Andrew. Yeah, let's do it. Well, after PSG's humiliation last night, we thought it would be time to uh, ring up Andrew Gibney from Football Whispers, our good old friend of the pod, and talk about all that went on. Andrew, how are PSG feeling this morning? Pretty bad, I imagine. Yeah, pretty hurt. Uh, Pride's been damaged, I think. And the whole reputation of the club and the project's been damaged as well. This was meant to be a triumphant night for them, the night they, they beat Barcelona, they qualified for the next round, and it seemed unthinkable that, especially with three minutes to go, that what was going to happen could have happened. But it, I mean, it was shambolic and all and all the way through the whole game, and there's no there's no explanation for it. I think everyone's position in the club now is is under threat. There's no one that's safe. There's going to be a massive fallout, probably even more than than what happened to Lauren Blanc last year after this sort of went against Man City. This is. It's absolutely terrible. Uh, Philippa B has tweeted in with a question, which seems <laughs> seems right for now. What's the future for Emery? Yeah, and it's, it's a massive question because uh, I think after uh, two weeks ago he looked uh, untouchable. There had been question marks over what he was, what he'd achieved, and what he'd done so far, and that seemed to be answered when you beat Barcelona four 0 but even uh, Nasser El Khalifa, the the owner, said it, it, he didn't sort of throw him under the bus, but he certainly didn't pull him out of the way. He said that, that look, this is not the time to speak about Emery's future. It was not not a glowing appraisal, just more of a this is not the time. So he wasn't backing him, which is probably the the, the silence is, is the worst part. If he'd have said no, no, it's, it's a tough defeat, but now he was saying like this this is not the time. It's also something that he's going to consider and. Yeah, Emery seems to have a bit of a a history of, of collapses. I know there was a few with Valencia when they're 2-0 up in cup ties that they lost, but this 4-0 up, you get the away goal to still collapse uh, is a massive black mark against him and, and his players. It's what he's going to be remembered for, unfortunately, at PSG, isn't it? That that's, We were talking about this earlier, but it's not going to be the 4-0 win. It's going to be the spectacular collapse, isn't it? That's it. I mean, the game in Paris was just half time, and if, if any team had the players that were going to stand up and sort of fight, and you know, it, it wasn't a vintage Barcelona performance by any reach, but it was a game they knew what they had to do and they didn't give up. And I think Neymar, especially, needs credit because he was the one that 
with a few minutes to go, but still pushing, was still just trying to find those goals, and, and he did it. And PSG didn't have any answers for any of the questions. And I think you look at someone like Thiago Silva, uh, described as still one of the be- best defenders in the world. And there's been a lot of criticism by people that watch him, like myself, that say he's not a leader. I mean, on his day, he's a stylish, classy defender, but when it really comes to the nitty gritty, he goes missing. And I think last night was a massive example of that. He's the one who should have been calming things down, taking control, and he was he was absent. What's been the reaction in the in the French press? I guess it hasn't been they haven't been kind. <laughs> it's not been kind. L'Equipe have used the same headline they used back in ninety three when France didn't qualify for the USA World Cup as uh, in this piece of uh, indescribable, sort of inexplainable the uh, well, towards the end is like the crash, which makes sense everything. You don't need to know French to to translate that. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot of questions. A lot of the, the big journalists have questioned Emery, they question Thiago Silva, people like David Villa, all the big big names who are brought to this club to take them to the next level. They all vanished last night. So this is going to be a bit of a not even a turning point, just like a, a big. Mark and flag in their in their whole history and see where they go from here. It's it's a shame because it's a you fall league on you want them to do well, but it sort of does highlight the errors that the the PSG and the people in charge have made in building this team. Okay, that's probably enough talk about PSG for now. Uh, maybe a little bit getting back to League One before recording myself and Andre we're talking and we realised that most of the time we have you on we've something to ask about Balotelli but he always seems to be in the news um, last time I mean the last time it was because of the events at Bastia uh, for those who missed this maybe you could fill them in on what happened yeah they were playing away at Bastia which is a pretty volatile place to go anyway the fans have got a history of being banned from their own ground there was a famous one where they got they had, got a, they had to play behind closed doors but the fans all turned up in the car park and were still letting off flares and you could see the smoke and they, they're they a very it's a very unique sort of situation and they were making chants towards Balotelli when they went there racist remarks a monkey chance, that sort of thing and they've again been banned uh, from their own ground and it again highlighted the, sort of the situation with their fans Uh and Balotelli himself, he's not exactly covered himself in glory since then. There was quotes from his own players saying that his head drops when it's not going his way and he's not been trying and training. And this is the, the part of the season where Nice really need him the most because Alassane Player, who's their top scorer, is out injured for the rest of the season. Balotelli came back, got himself sent off. Uh, and, and yeah, they really need him to to really steady the ship and, and be their sort of lead centre forward and it looks like again he's, he's thrown the toys out the pram and, and doesn't want to put in the effort that's needed uh, to be a success in the league gun, which is a shame because it started so well PSG Monaco and Nice are still in the title race um, there's three points separate them this must be one of the best title races in France for quite some time it's gone back to the sort of days before PSG's dominance when you had this like Bordeaux, Marseille, Lille, Montpellier all won the league in sort of consecutive years. It really was an unpredictability about the league and we've definitely got back to that and it's it's fantastic to see. You hope Nice can maintain their challenge with sort of the lack of strikers they have. And it's Monaco leading the way and they're so refreshing for just 
the football in general, the way that they, they're attacking the numbers, they're scoring a magnificent amount of goals. They've got 82 goals this season compared to, to PSG. They've got 56. Uh, it's unthinkable what they're doing under Leonardo Hardim. And I think there's a, a, a group play mentality outside of PSG that I think everyone would love to see this Monaco team go and win the title because they're playing football the right way. They're really good young players. And they're just they're so much fun to watch. Every game you sort of guaranteed goals. Uh, that that Man City Monaco game at the Etihad was just. I think everyone was quite happy to see. Although they got beat five three, but they they turned up in the biggest stage and showed how good they are, they can be. Uh, speaking of Monaco, of course, Kylian Mbappe has been one of their best players. Has has he been your standout player this so far this season? Uh, I think definitely one of them. I think cause he's still he's he's only made a 20 appearance I think only is it 9 or 10 from the start and he's got 9 goals and, and uh, I wrote a, a piece recently about looking at how he has performed compared to the likes of Thierry Henry David Trezeguet those guys when they were roughly the same age I mean he's blown them out of the water he's averaging a goal per every 90 minutes that he plays which for someone his age uh, I think Henri was something like it it's at 50 minutes or 45 minutes it, it, it's phenomenal and he just looks so at ease playing on the big stage he's taking everything in the stride he's got all the all those qualities he's absolutely lightning fast he's calm when he gets in one-on-one positions he's got dribbling skills of a winger he's so exciting and probably the most exciting forward we've seen in the league for a number of years probably up there with, with, with the first of Eden Hazard when he was like 17 at Lille he's up there at that bracket and it's going to be I definitely think Monaco will be able to keep him, hopefully, and it's going to be so interesting to see how he develops now with the way that the everyone's hyped up to the sort of times 100. It's going to be interesting to see how the next few years pans out for him. That was Andrew Gibney from Football Whispers, and we have got some breaking news for you. Xavi Alonso. He's not going to be gracing us with his Wilco-loving, beard-stroking football moves anymore. He's announced his retirement. He decided that he has better things to do than playing football. Well, he's probably going to go listen to Bell and Sebastian for probably, the day. Yeah. I think he might be crafting oak furniture. Oh, you know what? There's a shop, I, there's a place where I used to live in London. And I think it just, the shop was, it just made wooden spoons. Just sort of, I think it just carved wooden spoons okay. out of um, in different types out of wood. Type, different types of wood. Okay. It's on um, Hackney Road, I believe. If anybody's around there, they can maybe give us a bit more information. I always passed it by, but look, that's another question. Xavi Alonso, <laughs> what a player! What a player! Mm, terrible tackler, but what a player! <laughs> yeah, I'm going to miss him. Honestly, um, it is one of the one of the only bright players uh, on and off the pitch. Um, as, uh, as you know, he, he talks about um, hearts and music and is a, a very cultured guy. Um, it's a pity that we don't have more like him um, on, in world football in general. So yeah, definitely, I'm going to miss him. That's one of my favorite players. He's a, such yeah. a classy dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he wears his sort of star quality, which he's clearly aware of, so lightly. I mean, his interactions, I mean, in interviews or, you know, when you see him interacting with with fans, he clearly just takes it all in stride, even though he's, you know, won the Champions League multiple times and won 
the league and mm-hmm. three World different Cup. countries, World the World Cup, Cup the, Euro. the Euros. What a career. Oh, amazing You career. won everything. What do you think he'll be best remembered for? That stud in the chest in the World Cup final or for Gareth Barry almost <laughs> replacing him at Liverpool? <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope it's maybe 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 not. Yeah. Okay. That's all from us today. My thanks to Matt, Andre, Andrew, and our producer Damien. Remember, wherever you are in the world, please go to your local iTunes store, give us a rating, and leave us a comment to let us know what you think of the podcast. Oh, and thanks for listening. <laughs>